Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Zerudha Educate podcast. There was nobody with a great voice at Zerudha, so I'm going to host today's session. Uh, my name is Pratik Singh. I'm the founder of LearnApp, a video education platform where you can learn about investing and trading from the best in the country. Do check out learnapp.co. Today we'll be talking to Dhawal Dalal, the CIO of fixed income assets at Edelweiss Mutual Fund. Edelweiss is launching the Bharat Bond ETF which invests in only PSU bonds. We thought we'll catch up with him to talk all things debt. You know, over half of India's mutual fund industry's AUM is in debt-oriented schemes. Think about it. Half. But this category is dominated by institutions and HNIs. You know, retail investors like you and me, we don't usually invest in debt. Equity seems to have more sex appeal than debt, you know. Hopefully this conversation should help you understand the importance of debt in a portfolio and how you can use it. Thank you so much Dhawal for doing this. Before we start talking about ETFs, I want to know about you. Tell us how you got started in the markets. Thank you Pratik uh, for inviting me on this podcast. Uh, I started uh, into the market way early. I finished my engineering uh, in mechanical engineering in uh, Andhra School of Engineering in Ahmedabad. Uh, I finished uh, my graduation in '92, uh, and uh, after a two years of brickwork experience, I be, uh, decided to go to US to pursue my MBA. Uh, and after finishing my MBA uh, in in '96, uh, I joined a Merrill Lynch Asset Management in the US. Uh, and and learn everything about the bond market and I spent almost two years there and uh, after 22 years in 98 uh, Merrill Lynch Asset Management decided to transfer me to join a DSP Merrill Lynch Asset Management uh, in India uh, and at that point of time uh, the Indian mutual fund market was just opening uh, and we were into uh, paper trading of bonds uh, since then uh, we have come a long way uh, uh, in the journey uh, from a paper-based trading in bonds to now a paperless trading in bonds uh, and the volumes have also sufficiently grown. So here I am uh, talking to you in 2019 about the bond market in India. So you're actually at a very interesting space, Dhawal, because as you know, the Indian debt market, especially the corporate debt market is actually tiny. Uh, especially if you compare it uh, with other countries abroad, it's just 17% of GDP. Uh, in Malaysia, it's 46%. South Korea, 73% here and 120% in the US. And retail participation is actually even worse. I think the individual investors held less than 3% of all outstanding corporate bonds. We have some government securities, some GSECs. They make vast majority of the issuance actually. Uh, but retail investors couldn't really buy them directly. So let's just uh, break this up. In spite of the RBI and government talking about deepening the corporate debt market, things have pretty much remained the same. What's holding the Indian corporate debt market back? Well, Pratik, uh, our sense is that uh, the uh, uh, deepening of the bond market has to be viewed uh, in light of first uh, in government bonds market and then in the corporate bond market. Now, if you ask me whether the, uh, there is a depth in the government bond market, I would probably say uh, uh, there is a good amount of liquidity and the secondary market volume. 
if you look at uh, the government data uh, published by uh, CCIL, which is the clearing corporation of India Limited, uh, you perhaps notice that the daily trading volume in government bonds uh, is on average between 30 to 40,000 crore uh, per day. Uh, on a, an, uh, and, and on good days, uh, the volume can actually increase to as high as 1 lakh crore per day. That's 1 trillion rupees worth of trading volume. Now, yes, it is true that bulk of the trading volume is concentrated in the top five securities, government securities, which we call it on the run or liquid government securities. Uh, that said, I think in uh, the same kind of story cannot be said for the corporate bond market. Uh, simply for the reason is that historically, uh, the Indian uh, borrower uh, uh, has always preferred to borrow from banks. Uh, and, and if you look at the crystal data of the average rating of the Indian borrower, I think it is uh, below investment grade, that is triple, below triple B minus. And they have been better served by the banking, bank loan market as compared to the corporate bond market. So typically the Indian corporate bond market has been pretty much serving the highest quality borrower which are AAA rated uh, borrowers as well as AA plus rated borrowers. Now, who are these borrowers? They are either the government-owned entities, which we call it uh, PSU bonds or PFI bonds, or uh, some of the uh, private sector names like HDFC Limited, uh, LIC Housing Finance Limited, Bajaj Finance Limited. But important thing is that bulk of these private sector borrowers are in financial sector and very few are in the manufacturing sector, those who have been regular borrowers. So to that extent, the, the uh, issuers uh, and the investors in the corporate bond markets are pretty fragmented. Uh, and as a result of that, we believe that so long as the investors in the corporate bond markets remain institutional investors. Uh, and there is a lack of participation from retail investors as well as high net worth individuals, we believe that India's corporate bond market is likely to remain fragmented uh, and it is our endeavor to bridge this gap by introducing India's first uh, bond ETF. So Dhawal, tell me one thing, why is the retail participation in debt so low? Is it merely because people understand equities better? I think there are multiple reasons, uh, according to us, why retail participation in the bond market is lower than our expectations. Uh, number one uh, is uh, the market condition itself. Uh, it has to be understood that uh, the retail investors' understanding of the bond market is not uh, up to the mark as compared to their understanding about the equities market, wherein uh, they, uh, they actually understand which stock that they are buying and at what price they are buying. Uh, and when they are selling it, at what price they are selling and what is the profit and, and what is their loss or any, any kind of total return that they have made uh, for their transactions in equities market. Uh, in the bond market, uh, uh, the, the concept of yield uh, and the price and their inverse relationship uh, has not been properly understood by broad retail investors. Uh, yes, there are some high net worth individuals who have mastered the art of understanding how the bond market functions. Uh, and the economic cycles uh, and their relationship with the bond prices 
uh, and the inverse relationship between the bond prices and the yields uh, and the concepts like uh, modified duration and other things. But retail investors by and large uh, have not been keeping themselves updated uh, with the knowledge, intricate knowledge of the bond market and as a result of that they have confined themselves to the products that they understand such as fixed deposits or buying corporate bonds uh, in the public issue uh, wherein they know that uh, what tenure that corporate bond that they are buying, uh, what is the credit rating of the company, uh, uh, what is the coupon and what to expect every year from that uh, coupon that they have in a bond that they are investing in. So yes, so retail investors participation is visible. However, their contribution to mutual funds, particularly fixed income mutual funds have remained uh, below our expectations uh, and that is primarily because of the fact that first uh, as you know that there are 16 different categories of fixed income mutual funds. Uh, before this categorization took place in 2017, it was really very confusing for the retail investors to understand which scheme that they are investing in and what to expect from those schemes. Now SEBI has made the categorization very very simple and effective. Uh, the other issue that they are, investors are facing is when to enter and when to exit uh, and how the NAVs are going to behave based on the market uh, movement. So these, there are some of the issues where I think the learning of the retail investors uh, is not uh, something uh, that is keeping in mind and more importantly about the predictability of the, predictability of the returns uh, that uh, retail investors have been pretty, pretty comfortable with and that is quite visible when they invest in uh, fixed deposits because they know what return that they are going to get in or corporate bonds primary issuances uh, where they know what tenure that they are investing in, what is the coupon that they are investing in. However, the mutual funds have not been able to replicate that kind of expectations uh, for the retail investors and as a result of that, we believe that retail investors participation has been pretty uh, below expectations in uh, bond market. Right, right. Actually, you said something interesting, Dhawal. You said um, even from mutual fund perspective, you think that retailers don't invest enough. Now, I have had this question for a long time. I'm going to ask you and I really want to know what you think about this. You know, debt funds don't earn as much as equity funds do for fund houses as a business. The expense ratio is lower. People also don't understand it. So do you think maybe this is one of the reasons of why a lot of AMCs don't promote debt funds as much as they would an equity fund? I wouldn't agree to that. Uh, first of all, the India's interest rate cycles have been getting tighter and tighter. That means uh, from peak interest rates to trough and, and trough to peak, uh, these cycles are getting narrower. And as a result of that, the uh, mutual funds uh, AMCs begin to start marketing uh, a fixed income fund, the cycle is sometimes over. Like just to give you an example, uh, in August 2018, uh, India's bond deals uh, touched a peak level. Uh, and since then, uh, uh, the interest rate started declining as the RBI started uh, cutting uh, 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 reported. Uh, and by June-July of 2019, uh, bond deals hit the bottom. Now, such a short time period uh, it is difficult for the AMCs to convince retail investors to start putting money and benefit from the potential decline uh, in bond deals. Uh, these are some of the intricacies through which I think uh, the AMCs have been uh, uh, a little uh, uh, out of depth in terms of their marketing plan to attract retail investors. 
the other observation that we have uh, seen is that most of the time uh, the inflows are directly linked to the past performance of the scheme. That means when the interest rates hit or bond yields hit the bottom and when the past performance look very, very good, that's when the inflows will start coming uh, uh, in uh, rather than uh, uh, expecting inflows when the bond yields are, are, are closer to their peak. So, and then once the, if you start getting inflows uh, when the interest rate cycles have bottomed out, uh, and later on when there is a hardening of bond deals, then the investors have a, a, a experience which are uh, something different than what they had expected when they had invested by looking at the past performance. So these are some of the key issues which have been keeping AMCs away uh, from marketing uh, 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 fixed income funds to retail investors uh, for, for their asset allocation. Makes sense. Excellent. So now I quickly want to touch about role in a, in the role of debt in a portfolio. A lot of these listeners who will be listening have probably never invested in debt, right? And coming from you, it will become much more easier to understand. So rudimentary question, what is a debt fund? And why should I care about investing in a debt fund and putting it in my portfolio? Why can't I just stick to equity level? So, uh, Broadly speaking, uh, a- any investor should focus on four asset classes in their portfolio. Uh, number one is equity, uh, which is very well understood. Uh, the other is debt or fixed income uh, in the global parlance. Uh, the third is gold. Uh, and the fourth is real estate. Now, these are the four basic asset classes that every investor should have in different proportion uh, in-, in their portfolio. Uh, and the objective is to optimize uh, the total return of uh, their investable portfolio, keeping in mind uh, the economic cycle that we are in, as well as global interest rate cycle that we are in. Now, uh, there is also an element of uh, the investor's risk appetite. Uh, that means uh, a young investor uh, with uh, uh, who has uh, got 30, 40 years of uh, investable uh, time period uh, uh, is ought to have a slightly higher amount of uh, risk uh, in his or her portfolio as compared to someone who is uh, retired and focusing more on stable returns in order to live a comfortable life. So depending on whether you are in a growth phase or a stability phase, uh, your asset allocation to fixed income or debt uh, or some other less volatile assets uh, uh, will be determined. Now, for example, uh, a, 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 as you said, that most of your uh, listeners are millennials and they are in their 20s or 30s. Uh, it is very, very important that they focus on, on the growth assets, uh, which are uh, linked to equities uh, in higher proportion uh, as compared to stable assets like uh, fixed income or gold or real estate. Uh, but as they, as your millennial investors are looking for some amount of stability in their portfolio, perhaps it is better for them to start adding uh, fixed income or re- real estate or gold uh, just to offset uh, some of the volatility uh, uh, in a, uh, that is being experienced in their equity portfolio. So yes, uh, I would always recommend investors not to get carried away in one asset class or the other but have a focus on on these four asset classes and based on the risk as well as expected returns, 
they could have a various asset a various kind of proportion in these four assets excellent i hope you got that listeners what double basically said is that you need to have debt in your portfolio you need to understand asset allocation we have some amazing courses around this in fact radhika herself has done a course around that on learnat you should check that out my next question for you dhawal is that there are 16 debt fund categories i know you earlier said ki sebi has made it a little easier by categorizing them i personally think 16 might be a little too many can you tell me three or four fund categories that actually matter to to our age group yes i believe that uh, everyone should have some exposure to liquid funds uh, uh, any kind of rainy day or emergency kind of funds uh that any investors would like to have is something uh that can always be invested in in the liquid fund or uh, your surplus in lying in the savings account uh, of your bank uh should be considered uh in liquid funds uh, these liquid funds are very easy to invest uh, uh, uh they provide previous day nav uh, and any time you redeem uh, the money is uh, uh, coming straight to your bank account next day morning uh thereby uh providing you with ease of transaction uh and and, and there is no lock in very high quality investment so liquid fund should always be part of every investor's portfolio uh the second uh, category of the fund that i would like to recommend uh, uh is uh, something uh, called uh, short term fund category uh, or uh, the banking and psu debt fund category uh this fund category could either be used interchangeably or depending on the risk appetite of the investors either they can invest in short term funds or a banking and psu debt fund category uh, as you, as the name suggests that the banking and psu debt category uh, generally uh, invest 80% of their assets uh, in bonds issued by banks and psu so these are very high quality investments for those investors who believe that they are okay with taking some amount of credit risk can consider short term funds uh, which normally operate uh, in the range of one year average maturity to three year average maturity now uh, why should somebody consider in a short term investment in short term fund primarily because of the fact that these funds have traditionally offered uh, better risk adjusted returns in the last one year three year and five year time period Uh, as compared to funds with a higher duration or higher average maturity category so yes these are the some of the funds uh, that investors should consider uh, for their uh, beginning of the fixed income asset allocation excellent so uh, i won't go into asking more question about etfs and uh, debt markets in general so now let's talk about the bharat bond etf that is being introduced by edelweiss so for the lay average investor can you first explain to me ETF क्या होता है? What is an ETF versus say a mutual fund? Yes, so ETF is a combination of a mutual fund uh, and the trading ability of a stock, which I think most of the investors are familiar with. So when an investor invests in a stock market, uh, traditionally stock markets are open from nine thirty to three thirty, right? Uh, and at that point of time an investor has an option to buy a stock any time during the day depending on the movement of the price of the underlying stock yes absolutely okay so does that mean that i can buy the etf using a broker terminal online or on the phone using a broker yes 
you an investor can invest in an ETF on the stock exchange anytime during the trading hours of the day. Uh, so the the advantage of investing an ETF is that when you are investing in an ETF, you get the benefit of investing in a portfolio of bonds. Uh, but at the same time, you are getting the price of uh, 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 a, a, of your choice during the day. That means uh, unlike other uh, fixed income funds where you invest and you get the end of the day NAV, uh, in the ETF, because uh, the units are listed on the exchange and they are uh, traded on the exchange, uh, an investor has an option uh, to buy any time during the day at a prevailing price of the ETF. Excellent. And ETFs can be of any kind. They could be following some underlying that could be, for example, we have a Nifty ETF. The Bharat Bond ETF, I'm guessing, has something to do with Bharat and bonds, which I'm sure you'll explain in a bit. Uh, but with these ETFs, I'm guessing once you buy it, it goes as a DMAT form, right? So you, that's how you receive it. Is that how it works? Yes. Globally, ETFs uh, are always in the DMAT form. Uh, and in India also, uh, all the ETFs that we have seen so far, whether uh, Bharat 22 ETF or uh, CPSC equity ETF, uh, just like stocks, uh, they are all uh, traded on the exchange and in DMAT form. So yes, investors will need uh, a trading account uh, and a DMAT account. Uh, for those investors uh, who do not have access to a, a trading account, uh, or DMAT account uh, and would like to invest uh, in this proposed uh, Bharat bond ETF, there will be a fund of fund uh, who, uh, where investors can invest and we, the fund of fund in turn uh, will invest uh, in the Bharat bond ETF on the exchange. So that's an additional benefit for those investors who uh, do not have a trading account or a DMAT account and would like to invest in the proposed uh, Bharat Bond ETF program. There's one more thing about ETFs, is, and that's market makers. Now, I've heard there are market makers and they play a role in this. Can you tell me how that actually works? Yes. Globally, uh, the market makers, also known as authorized participants, uh, their role is very critical in the success and the liquidity of the underlying ETF units on the exchange. Because... These are the market makers and the authorized participants who provide uh, the bid quote as well as offer quote on the exchange uh, for potential investors. Uh, and, and their objective is to provide the liquidity on the exchange uh, by providing two-way quote uh, through the day for the underlying ETF programs. Now, uh, for any ETF, there could be uh, one or more number of market participants or the authorized participants. Uh, they are listed uh, uh, on the stock ex uh, or they are appointed uh, either by the uh, asset management company or they can work on their own. Uh, but this, they, they are very critical and crucial part of uh, creating liquidity for the underlying ETF on the stock exchange. And without the liquidity, uh, the ETF program would not succeed because it is the liquidity and the ease of transaction as well as narrow bid offer quotes uh, that draw the investors into the stock market uh, for trading uh, on uh, of these ETF units as compared to investing in uh, uh, a fixed income mutual. Right, right. So who are these companies? Are they banks? Are they individual companies? I mean, who are these people and why do they offer bids and quotes? I mean, what's in it for them? Do they earn from the spread? How does this actually work for them as a business? Globally, 
the market makers or uh, as authorized participant program it is an arrangement between uh, the asset manager uh, the stock exchange uh, as well as uh, the market makers and authorized part- participant agencies uh, their objective is to uh, provide liquidity uh, and sometimes uh, they there are there are some incentives also being offered by the stock exchanges as well as uh, uh, some of the asset management companies in order to promote liquidity in their underlying etf uh, for example in global markets we have seen several examples uh, where the exchanges uh, provide some sort of incentives uh, in order to promote liquidity on on, on some of the uh, uh, etfs and and that how uh, that that incentives allow uh, market makers to quote narrow uh, bid offer spreads and by virtue of that uh, the uh, attract uh, institutional as well as high net worth individuals as well as retail investors for trading on on the bond etf uh, program now generally uh, in equities etf versus bond etf uh, the the spreads vary now generally for equity etf the the spread uh, between bid of bid quote as well as offer quote is slightly on a higher side uh, while in case of bond etf uh, it need requires to be uh, slightly narrow uh, and that's where the the market makers role becomes very very important because they will have to uh, offer continuous bid and offers uh, quotes on the exchange for greater part of the day say 70% of the time or 80% of the time or 90% of the time and offer volume uh, for either on the bid side as well as on the offer side uh, so that the investors can participate on a uh, side of their choice and a market maker in turn uh, will have to have a tie up uh, with uh, the etf provider got it yeah right perfect so now to the really interesting part tell us about the bharat bond etf what it is i understand that this structure invests in only government owned companies their bonds actually and that makes it very safe i'd love to understand what makes it so unique yes so let me provide a little bit of perspective uh, the bharat bond etf program uh, is a government of india initiative uh, that has been instrumental in launching of uh, the bond etf uh, uh, later on in the year uh, they uh, the government of india had three objectives broad objectives uh, in mind uh, objective number 1 was to bring an additional source of borrowing uh, for this uh, cpsc entities uh, as uh, uh, as you know that bulk of their borrowing is happening in the wholesale market where uh, the buyers are either insurance companies or, or pension funds uh, and to a certain extent mutual funds and fpi investors however uh, the retail and hni investors have been pretty much absent Uh, in in the space so through this etf program uh, one of the objective is to bring retail and hni investors in the fold of uh, investing in this high quality bonds uh, of uh, issued by the government owned entities uh, the second broad objective was to help them reduce the cost of borrowing over a period of time uh, and the third objective was uh, by bringing this additional uh, 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 investors into the fold Uh, to help deepen uh, india's bond market uh, and and promote uh, the tra- uh, trading of uh, the bonds on the exchange uh, by way of 
the ETF uh, program. So, these three objectives are uh, uh, achieved by introduction of the Bharat bond ETF which is going to invest only in AAA rated uh, entities uh, uh, and their bonds. Uh, there are, uh, this program is going to follow the target maturity bond ETF structure. That means uh, the ETF uh, will have a maturity date. Uh, so, it will uh, help investors understand that the ETF uh, uh, will mature like a bond. Uh, uh, the, the ETF will be, uh, uh, one ETF will be is for the 3 year, uh, the other ETF will be for the 10 year. So, uh, any potential investor when they invest in this ETF would know exactly when this ETF will mature uh, and, and when will they get their money back. So, this is similar to their experience of investing in either a fixed deposit of a bank or a corporate bond uh, where they have been investing. So, they know exactly when they are going to uh, get their money back. Uh, and with that kind of program, uh, uh, the underlying bonds are all going to be 100% AAA at the time of investment. So, uh, that means the investors will get diversification of their portfolio. Uh, and more importantly, for retail uh, uh, investors, since uh, they would require minimum 10 lakh rupees to buy these bonds on their own. Uh, with the ETF, we are bringing down this threshold to as little as 1000 rupees. That means a retail investor with as little as 1000 rupee, uh, rupees in his account can participate in this ETF program and get a basket of bonds which are all AAA in nature. Uh, uh, and with a predefined maturity date and then based on that an investor will get uh, a fixed income asset allocation uh, in his portfolio, in his or her portfolio and more importantly uh, uh, there is going to be a liquidity on the exchange, uh, there is no lock-in uh, uh, and more importantly there is very little expense ratio that the investors will be paying because this is also something that investors pay a lot of attention to. Uh, for example, uh, when they invest in any kind of mutual fixed income mutual fund, uh, the expense ratio vary from as little as 10 basis point to as high as 50 basis point. But when they are investing in this proposed Bharat bond ETF, uh, the expense ratio is less than 1 basis point. It's virtually zero. So, three things on the offer, uh, zero expense, liquidity, uh, diversification and excellent tax adjusted returns. Absolutely and I think this is your what you said earlier was right that this is the only way the retail participation increases. They understand products like Bharat Bond ETF which is actually backed by the government at least in my eyes it's safe because you're actually giving it to government companies so it's quasi backed by the government. Then you have return predictability because there's some fixed maturity aspect to it there is a maturation date it's liquid as we discussed their market makers and so many other people will actually trade it and you also added something interesting that it costs only 1000 rupees to buy a unit uh, which is very very affordable for anyone i mean i don't think even i would invest 10 lakh rupees in one shot uh, for something like uh, government bonds so this is amazing the other thing that i found very interesting bhaval was the low cost and i was actually calculating before uh, we started the podcast. I think for every lakh rupees that is being managed, something like 50 pesa is being paid 
uh, to the AMC, which I isn't that the lowest in the world? Has anyone ever done that? Because this sounds like an extremely low uh, management fee for the AMC. Absolutely. Not knowing uh, this, I would probably presume that this will probably be the lowest uh, cost uh, ETF uh, in Asia, if not in the world. Uh, and this is something that I'm sure that clients will take note of and consider investing in this high quality uh, portfolio of liquid bonds. Correct. So if someone was deciding to put money away to bonds anyway, at least now they have this, right? It's costs low, the expense ratio is low, and you're basically giving money to the government. So, uh, and I really hope podcasts like what we do at Zero the Educate, what we do at Learn App, what you're doing actually with this product, because I don't think you're earning a lot of money here. You don't need to comment on that. Uh, but I think all of this put together over the next decade, I think we'll get lots of people to invest in this. Uh, I hope that works out. But let me ask you a few more questions. Can I do that, Dawal? Yes, please. Okay. So uh, this ETF, let's talk about the risks, right? So I understand that it's a fixed uh, maturity plan. Uh, sorry, it's a fixed maturity structure. Um, there's also, it's an ETF structure, so it's, it's trading on the exchange. But what about the risk? Bonds usually have two kinds of risk your interest rate and credit risk. Can you tell me what kind of interest rate risk is in this and what kind of credit risk is in this kind of ETF? So let me first talk about the credit risk. And, and, and generally, uh, this is very, very important uh, in the current uh, uh, investment environment, particularly in the last one year since the eruption of uh, the uh, uh, debt crisis in India, uh, and as which has uh, basically shaken uh, the investors' confidence uh, in, in, in the credit rating agencies as well as uh, uh, the mutual funds' ability to uh, invest on their behalf. Uh, and we are trying to address this concern by uh, only investing in AAA-rated government-owned entities. We are not even investing in privately uh, private entities, only government uh, uh, entities, and that they are AAA uh, in, uh, uh, at the time of investment. So, we believe that by doing so, we are taking away uh, bulk of the credit risk out uh, from the calculation. Uh, with regards to the interest rate risk, yes, uh, uh, the, the interest rate risk will be there uh, in the portfolio. Uh, however, we are trying to mitigate that interest rate risk for the investors uh, by uh, launching a target maturity bond ETF structure. That means uh, a three-year one will mature at the end of three years and will provide four indexation benefits to the investors uh, and a 10-year one will mature in April 2030 by providing 11 indexation benefits uh, to the investors. So from that perspective, investors would know how long they need to remain invested in order to earn uh, better tax-adjusted returns and get certain amount of predictability of the returns. Yes, uh, the ETF is going to be liquid. That means investors can get in and get out at any point of time. But those investors who are looking for a long-term asset allocation in their portfolio will certainly benefit by remaining invested till the life of the ETF. So from that perspective, investors will have to decide whether they want to invest in a 3-year one based on their cash flow and the investment needs or the 10-year one based on their cash flow, returns profile and the, uh, their need for the money. Uh, and we believe that those investors will definitely benefit uh, by investing through this approach. Okay, so April 2023, let's suppose Pratik Singh, I invest in this 
series, this this ETF. Now on April 2023, this will mature. I'm guessing uh, your fund will launch another series, which will become April 2023 plus three more years. Is that how it works? And that's how it rolls every uh, every time one expires, if I, if I may say that. So the target maturity bond ETF program uh, will enable us to launch uh, a new set of ETF every year. So, for example, this year, it's April 2023 and April 2030. Next year, it will be April 2024 and April 2031. Uh, year after that will be April 2025 and April 2032 and so on and so forth. Yeah, and, and at some point of time when the program matures, we may even consider uh, launching a longer dated ETF, maybe 15 year, maybe 20 year, uh, that may cater to uh, the long-term investment needs uh, of uh, the institutional uh, or HNI or any other investor class that may uh, appear on the horizon. Got it. So every year you will release it. Got it. That makes perfect sense. So Dawal, doesn't that mean for the for the investor who's investing every year, so if we invest this year, we can invest again the year after that, again the year after that. Won't you clear uh, create some sort of ladder? Can you tell me the concept of bond laddering? Absolutely. So concept of bond laddering is very well understood in the global markets. Uh, however, in India, uh, we are yet to uh, understand the power of investing through laddered approach. Generally, investors uh, normally invest equal amount of uh, that uh, investable surplus uh, in bonds maturing in one year, two year, three year, four year and five year. For those here, long, uh, uh, higher amount of this capital can spread equal amount of their investable surplus between one year and 10 year uh, uh, by putting 10, 10% each. Now, the moment one year bond matures, uh, at that point of time, uh, the 10 year bond would have become a nine year bond, a nine year bond would have become an eight year bond and so on and so forth. So when the one year bond matures, it goes back to the 10 year point. Uh, for a shorter investor, that one year becomes uh, go to five year. So that uh, what we are presenting in a ladder portfolio is that the average maturity of the portfolio always remains constant. So in a, in a case of 1 to 10, the average maturity remains 5. And in case of 1 to 5, the average maturity remains 2.5. Uh, and and th- that's how you keep recycling uh, your investment as and when they mature. Now, the, the advantage of that is that when your average maturity remains constant, uh, the volatility of returns of the portfolio uh, becomes much, much lesser because if either the interest rate cycle is going up or going down, uh, the reinvestment will take care of uh, that. That means in an upward moving interest rate scenario, your maturities will get redeployed uh, in higher yielding assets. And in a downward moving interest rate scenario, you will have capital gains. Okay. You keep using the word maturity again and again, Dawal. Now, uh, what I understand is when we invest in a normal bond, uh, a bond mutual fund, you you get interest or coupon payments paid to you at regular intervals. Now, is it that in the Bharat bond fund, you are reinvesting the interest and not paying it out to the investor? How is it structured in this one? Absolutely. So in a Bharat bond ETF, whatever coupon that we will receive at the end of one year will be reinvested either in the same bond or different bonds which are eligible for the residual maturity. So for example, in a three-year one, whatever coupon that we will receive at the end of one year will be reinvested in a two-year bond 
uh, and after second year will be reinvested in a one year bond and it's the same treatment for the 10 year one excellent so i think we covered what the etf is what the risks are you also talked about liquidity and how market making works one question though uh, i know a lot of my friends davar unke paas dmat account hai nahi they don't have dmat accounts so how can i buy this etf if i don't have dmat yeah so for those investors who do not have a dmat account uh, we are planning to launch a fund of funds uh, uh, and and they, these guys can invest in a fund of fund Uh, which in turn will invest in this Bharat bond ETF of the suitable maturity. So to that extent, uh, uh, they will also be able to enjoy the benefits of investing. So fund of fund is just like a mutual fund. Absolutely. Which is investing in the ETF. It's just an easier way to invest. That's it. It's just a vehicle. Perfect. So this is a pretty cool product, Dhawal. But can you tell me how one should use this in a portfolio? So uh, our sense is that. Uh, as i was mentioning that we are catering to four different set of investors uh, retail investors hni local institutions uh, and fpis let me focus on what is in it, what is in it for retail investors uh, traditionally it has been observed that retail investors are are putting bulk of their money uh, in either bank deposits or corporate bonds or postal savings scheme where uh, they have a fairly high amount of predictability of returns uh, with this product we are also bringing the additional benefit of diversification and liquidity for example uh, we know that uh, when a retail investor invests in a fixed deposit of a bank uh, uh, any kind of premature withdrawal will attract penalty uh, in uh, when they invest in bharat bond etf there is no locking there is no penalty that means an investor can get diversification as little as 1000 rupees uh, and get a high basket of high quality portfolio and liquidity at any point of time on the exchange so that is for the retail investors for hni uh, we are offering much better tax adjusted returns uh, for those investors who would willing to commit uh, uh, for at least 3 years uh, in some cases hold to maturity Uh, hold till the maturity of the ETF. Uh, our analysis suggests that the tax-adjusted returns are going to be much, much better uh, as compared to what is available in traditional investment uh, uh, at this point of time. So uh, uh, we are catering to both uh, a retail as well as HNI. For local institutions and FPIs, there are additional benefits of diversification at no extra cost plus liquidity that they clamor for at all points of time. Perfect double thank you so much for spending time with us with that it's a wrap i'd love to thank you for the time you spent with me and here's a cheers to all the retail guys hopefully after listening to this they start investing in some sort of debt in the future thank you for growing the market double thank you pratik thank you double goodbye goodbye mutual fund investments are subject to market risks read all scheme related documents carefully